longtime friends of ours have a daughter named Elizabeth. We've known her since she was about two years old. She's now a fifth grader in a rural county in our commonwealth. She has 53 fifth graders she's responsible for teaching. In anticipation of Halloween, she gave them the following assignment. What would my what should my teacher be for Halloween? And she posted some of her favorite responses on her Facebook page and gladly gave me permission to share them with you this morning. The first student said, I think she should be a crossing guard because she always tells us to stop. (laughs) I love that one. Another student said, I think you should be an inflatable T-Rex. It would be funny and kind of cool. Another student said, I think she should be a tap dancer because I want to see if she can tap dance. And you can see the little tap dance shoes on the feet. Another student said, I think she should be a supermodel. She's a star. She is beautiful like a supermodel. She looks outstanding in a dress. She's an amazing person. She should be on the red carpet every day. Plus, she would probably be the nicest supermodel in the whole world. The fifth one. (laughs) I think she should be Dr. Pepper. You love Dr. Pepper, and because it's good, and because it's brown like your hair. And Elizabeth does love Dr. Pepper, by the way. And the last one I share with you, and my personal favorite, I think she should be an angel. She is a really nice teacher. Sometimes she can be a bit mean, but she is a really nice teacher when you get to know her. I think it's really fitting for her. Isn't that spoken like a true fifth grader? And of a teacher who sometimes has to be stern and help children follow the rules and learn, but also is the nicest person a child ever could meet, so much so that they want them to be an angel for Halloween. Thanks, Elizabeth, if you're watching. Some years ago, I read that children are encouraged to draw and color and paint and make pottery and so forth all the way up through elementary school. We have, we still have Rubbermaid containers of Isabella's artwork from when she was in, you know, preschool and elementary school and all that. But the bins got mighty small at middle school. Because all of this work when they were little, younger, but then when they start focusing on standardized tests and all of the academic stuff, the, the, the creative things that she would bring home were much, much lower. I'm not an educator, and I, but I, I know a lot of you are, and maybe you can help me know why in our system sometimes the children are not challenged to be as creative as much in the 
uh, older school years. I just know that's an observation of mine and some others I've read online. Maybe more emphasis is put on the standardized tests and scores and all of that because of the um, all of the standards that have to be made according to the state and all of that. And and uh, but what happens is as as we get older, we are not challenged to be so creative. And I'm thankful that we have classes through Chesterfield County Parks and Rec where our older adults are able to take art classes and pottery classes and drawing classes and creative writing classes and so forth. But we have to be very intentional about those things. Social conditioning, fear of failure, fear of judgment and other things hold us back when we try to be creative. And sometimes people will shut us down in the workplace or other environments. And we can easily settle for the routine and be less likely to experience the power of using our imaginations. Church, what if we could change that? What if we could recapture our imaginations and see the world like children who are always curious and creative? I wonder how it might change our attitudes towards other people if we could see them through the eyes of little children. What possibilities might there be for the world to be a better place if we saw the world through the lenses of children? But wait a minute. Aren't we children of God? Didn't we just read a passage that said we are children of God? How great is the love of the Father that he has lavished on the love that he's lavished on us that we would be called children of God? If you read through the whole letter of 1 John, you'll see over and over again John referring to the churches, to the saints as my dear children, my friends, my dear children. Numerous times as you read through it. John conveys this truth right here. Our key verse, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. And what we will be has not yet been made known. We are God's children. But we aren't merely God's children here and now. We are to imagine something more that we can and will become like Jesus, the perfect image of God. This truth, we believe, is back to creation, that we are made in the image of God. In Genesis, we read the words of the creation account where on the sixth day, God created human beings in the image of God. Genesis 1, 26 through 28, God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over the livestock and over the, all the animals, over all the creatures that move on the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God said, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. We are created in the image of God. 
Psalm 8 echoes this, where the psalmist writes, you have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You put everything under their feet. When speaking to the philosophers at the Ergopos in Athens, the apostle Paul said, he, meaning God, gives everyone life and breath and everything else. For in him, Acts 17, 28, for in him, meaning God, we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, Paul speaks to them, we are his offspring. Again, pointing to them that there is no pagan God that is responsible for us. Paul says we are God's offspring. And he wrote later in Ephesians 5.8 that we are children of the light. This points us back to John's letter. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. When you and I come to faith in Christ Jesus, we become his beloved children, children of God. We are adopted into his family and we are heirs to all the benefits that come through God, through his love, his goodness, his mercy, his grace. Ephesians 1, 4 through 6, long before he laid down the earth's foundations, he had us in mind, had settled on us as the focus of his love, to be made whole and holy by his love. Long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. He wanted to enter in us to enter into the cel celebration of his lavish gift giving by the hand of his beloved son. And in the prologue of John's gospel, the fourth gospel, he wrote this, chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. So the question is, how can we be more confident in our identity as God's children that we might be able to see creatively as children? That we might be able to see the world through the lenses of children using holy imagination? To see ourselves, others, and the world as God sees it. Three thoughts. To do that, we need a strong knowledge of God. That's a strong theology. And in much of our music today, if you paid attention to the lyrics, helped us to understand various ways that God is made real to us, made known to us. The song we just heard, or the one we sung, is the shepherd image. And there are so many others. We need a strong knowledge of God, a strong theology. We need a strong understanding of whose we are, our identity as God's children created in his image, and a vision of who we are to become our formation. First, we can know what God's like. To understand what being made in the image of God means, we need to know what God is like. So 
little children's book. I'd like to just use uh, share a little bit from. It's entitled "What Is God Like," and it's written by the late Rachel Held Evans and Matthew Paul Turner. Kate Wakeland, our uh, intern, she's our assistant to the family ministries here. She gave me this book not long ago, and it's really worth reading. It starts out, what is God like? There's a very big, that's a very big question, one that people from places all around the world have wondered about since the beginning of time. And while nobody has seen all of God, because God is far too big for any of us to fully see, we can know what God is like. And through the book, the writers help us to see some of the ways that God has revealed God's self to us. God is like an eagle, sharp-eyed and swift. God is like the stars, forever present and bright. God is like a fork, strong and secure. God is like a gardener, patient and nurturing. God is like the flame of a candle, warm and inviting. God is like the wind, passionate and full of mystery, both here and mysteriously also over there. God is like an artist, creative and unpredictable. God is like a mother, strong and safe. You can crawl up into her lap whenever you want to, and she will hold you until you fall asleep. God is like a father, gentle and safe. He'll put you on top of his shoulders to give you a bird's eye view of all of creation. God is like three dancers, graceful and precise. God is like a rainbow, vivid and full of color, dazzling reminder of promise and hope for all people after a storm. And I love this. God is like a best friend, faithful and true, closer than you even than even your brothers or sisters. There's a whole lot more there, but that gives you a taste of some of the ways that we can understand our theology of what God is like, who God is. And we are called God's children in the here and in the now. We're able to know what God is like. And we are able to better understand God. But we are also able to better understand us. We are his children. We are his sheep. We are his masterpiece, writes the Apostle Paul. We are his vessels, writes Paul to Timothy. Isaiah says we are clay in the potter's hand. Matthew says we are the light, the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Paul writes that we are his servants. Jesus calls us his friends. Paul says that we are like plants in a garden. It says you are God's field. And then thinking of the body of Christ where all of the parts have a, uh, are pieces of the whole, 
he equates that, or we can equate that to a puzzle. And each one of us has a unique part to play in the whole picture. Isn't that wonderful that we can understand more of who God is and more of what we are like as God's children? And then John points us to what is to come and helps us imagine what that's like. We are to imagine so much more. He's saying if we think being God's children in the here and in the now is amazing, just wait until what's to come. Can you imagine it? John writes, dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. The Apostle Paul writes that we are citizens of heaven who await what is to come. And at every Christian funeral, I offer a prayer of committal, which includes words of promise taken from Philippians chapter 3, where we say, Who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like unto his glorious body. Y'all in heaven, we're going to be like him. And we will dance before Jesus, or in all of him be still. We will be like Jesus. Can you imagine what that will be like? Well, John helps us to see it in Revelation. As he was imprisoned on the island of Patmos and authored the letter of Revelation in chapter 22, he writes, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the, of the street of the great city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of, tre of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever and ever. 